Thank you. Good morning, church. Happy Mother's Day. All right. So, uh, my name is Stephen Pollitt. I'm the associate pastor here at Gateway. And uh, Blake and Sean have started their sabbatical. So, over the next um, eight weeks, you're going to hear from me quite a bit. So, you know, strap in for the summer. Uh, but we're going to be uh, digging into Proverbs over this summer. I'm really excited. Last year we did Psalms. I'm excited to dive into uh, to Proverbs this year. But just as we proceed throughout the summer, continue to lift up Blake and Sean, that they receive everything that, that God has for them uh, in the midst of this, this sabbatical. Um, and so I know it's a, it's a blessing for them to be able to have this, to prepare their hearts uh, for, for ministry. Um, it's also a blessing for us that, that we get to, to pursue the Lord uh, together and we get to lift them up. And so let's continue to do that. Um, but again, it is Mother's Day. I've been in ministry for going on 20 years, and I was trying to think, like, I don't think I've ever preached on Mother's Day before. So it's, it's, it's a lot of pressure. Like, I'm nervous this morning, um, but I know a lot of you have come into this room, and uh, Mother's Day could, could symbolize something uh, totally different from, from one another. You know, for me, uh, a lot of you know my story, Mother's Day um, can be challenging when I think th- through parts of it, just with my upbringing and, and being raised uh, by my grandparents. But then I also get to um, rejoice in the redemption that is, is uh, what God's done through that, and that I was raised by um, just incredible grandparents and an incredible uh, grandmother. And so the church has given me a stage and a microphone on Mother's Day, and I've got to, to make the most of it. So number one, uh, moms in the room, ladies uh, that are part of our church, happy Mother's Day. Y'all have been spiritual mothers to me uh, for years, and I'm thankful that I get the, the opportunity to see you guys uh, in action week in and week out. I get to say happy Mother's Day to my grandmother, Bobby Joe, who is probably watching from home right now. I get to say Happy Mother's Day to my wife, Natalie. And I get this, y'all. I get to say Happy Mother's Day to my mother-in-law, Karen, who's an incredible mother, who treats me so well, and my two sister-in-laws. Um, Mother's Day can mean a lot of things for a lot of different people. And we can be put into an impossible situation. But the theme that we're going to talk about today is these impossible situations, it creates the reality of redemption. And so that's what we're going to look at as, as we look at Mother's Day today. And so we're going to be in Proverbs 31. Uh, what we're going to do today is we're, we're going to read Proverbs 31 uh, all together here in a few moments. Um, but what we're going to do as we tear apart Proverbs 31, we're going to go through a couple verses at a time, and we're going to see uh, a correlation between this proverb and what it says and how it held up into the, the New Testament. Um, and so the thing that you need to know about this proverb is that it was, was written uh, by Solomon, um, and it was, uh, it's, it's an acrostic poem that he had written. And a lot of scholars, and I, I tend to think this as well, and this is a lens that we're going to look at Proverbs 31 today, that Solomon wrote this poem, Proverbs 31, about Bathsheba, his mother. And you know the story of Bathsheba. She was put into an impossible situation, but it created the reality of redemption. And that's what we get to see in Proverbs 31 
Um, and so again, we're going to do that here in a little bit. We're going to look at just the historical context uh, of Proverbs and, and what this means and, and what it means for us um, over this summer. Um, but I want to think about that statement a little bit more. That impossible situations create the reality of redemption. That God has a plan even though we might not see it. And so when I was young, uh, my grandparents took me in. They raised uh, four sons. So they'd already raised four boys. Uh, they'd gotten them almost all the way out of the house. Their oldest, had, by the time I came along, uh, was married. My father, uh, which is, is their parents, uh, was their second born. And just a very difficult, impossible situation. So my grandparents became my parents. My grandmother became my mom in a very impossible situation. But it created the reality of redemption. And I'll tell you just a few stories of, of things that I'd put her through. Because I know what all y'all are thinking right now is like, who had to raise like this man? And it was Bobby Joe Pollitt. So when I was young, shortly after they had uh, taken me in, I, she made me mad about something. I can't even remember what it was. And I'd gotten so mad that I was going to show her, and I decided I was going to run away. And so I grabbed the things that were probably pertinent to a, a seven-year-old. I grabbed the things. I started walking down my driveway. And I walked down the end of the driveway, and I remember looking back uh, to the house because I really wasn't wanting to run away. I just wanted to, to show my grandmother that I could, and I wanted her to feel sorry for the situation. And so I'd look back, and I was waiting on her to, to stand at the top of the driveway and say, you know, Stephen, come back. She wasn't there. So I walked a little bit further down the street, and I turned around and just waiting to see my grandmother in the yard, saying, hey, Stephen, come on back. Um, she wasn't there. Walked a little bit further down the street, turned back. She still wasn't there. Um, so I walked back to the house, and I put down all my stuff, and in the kitchen, she had made me a sandwich. She had made my lunch. Um, and I just walked to the kitchen. I sat down. I started eating my lunch, and she was in the kitchen. Um, she never said a word, like didn't bring it up, didn't talk about it. I didn't say a word. I didn't talk about it. I just ate my lunch. Years later, I found out that my grandmother had been hiding like around the bushes and around the corner, and she had watched every step that I made just because she wanted to see how far I was going to take this, this impossible situation. A few years later, uh, we lived in Montana, and I was like 13 and a half, because 13 and a half in Montana, you get your driver's license, which is a terrible idea, or you get your permit. 15, you get your driver's license. And back in those days, like, you, you would go to school, and they had driver's ed in the school. Anybody else ever experienced that? So I got to experience that in Montana. So I took driver's ed in the school, and it came time for me to get my driver's license. So my grandmother drives me to the DMV. I'd pass driver's ed, and I pass the test with flying colors, and I get my driver's license, and I come back out, and I beg my grandmother. It's like, hey, I just got my driver's license. Can I drive home? She's like, sure, Stephen. And so I get in the car, and, and I do all the things, you know, 10 and 2, buckled up. I checked every mirror, made sure all the switches work, everything that every, everybody does every time you get in the car, right? Um, and get in the car, and we start to drive home, and the entire conversation was me letting my grandmother know that I'm a better driver than her. Like, 
I'm 15 years old, and like I have all the experience in the world, and I'm the best driver in the world. And she never like argued with me. She goes, you know what, Stephen, you're right. You are just a fantastic driver. Um, and she had to hear that over and over. And we get to the house later on that evening. I, I, I go and ask her. I call my grandmother Mers. That's her, her grandmother name. And uh, I go, Mers, can I go to the store? Like, I want to rent a movie, and do you need anything at the store? She goes, yeah, you could buy some milk and rent a movie, and here's some money. And my cousin was visiting, and so my cousin gets in the car with me, and I throw it in reverse, and I check all the stuff. Um, and as I'm backing out, I hit the side of the garage. And I don't get out of the car. I don't look for damage. I don't check anything. I look at my cousin, and I say, don't say a word. I continue to back out, and I go to the grocery store, and I grab the milk, and I rent the movie, and I come back out, and I look at the car, and I check out the damage, and in my mind, I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell them a rogue cart just blew across the, the parking lot, and it just hit our car and like blew up the entire front end quarter panel of our car, um, and I looked at my cousin. I go, this is what I'm telling him. You better not say a word. And so I get back to the house, put in the garage, park in the garage. I don't hit it the second time. Pull in well. Backing up is the issue. Um, go into the house, and my grandparents are playing cards with some of their friends. And by that time, I didn't have the courage to lie to them anymore. So I said, you know what, I, Mers, I, I hit the side of the garage with the car as I was leaving. And my grandmother and grandfather look at me and go, we know. And I go, how'd you know? They go, number one, it shook the entire house. <laughs> so we ran out there, and we knew something had happened. And the neighbors had also seen me hit the garage. So they came over, and they noticed that I didn't get out to check on it, that I just drove off. So they came over to rat me out because they were horrible neighbors. Um, <laughs> and uh, my punishment was we had to take a plunger, and I pulled the dent out of the quarter panel of the car. And it's still in my scrapbook, like this picture of this old Oldsmobile with a, a, a plunger. Uh, but those are some of the things that my, my grandparents raised four boys, and as they're walking into the years where they get to enjoy the rest of their life, they have to spend um, 41 more years raising me. An impossible situation created the reality of redemption. You know, I also get to see that in my wife. Like, had no idea, really, just as a mother's, like, what y'all go through um, until, like, I see my wife as a mom. And, like, y'all know my boys, that first year uh, raising twins, it was an impossible situation. And, but the, the reality of, of redemption was created. I remember coming home so many times and her asleep in the recliner holding two kids that had been screaming all day. Um, and just the grace that, that she walks through motherhood with. And just what a blessing it is that... that we get to see that. We get to see our, our physical mothers. We get to see our wives. We get to see our spiritual mothers. We get to see um, the, the women of our church serve the Lord well. And so when you think about Proverbs 31, a lot of times that's what you think about. You think about uh, this, this guideline of a godly woman, a godly wife, a godly mother. But we're going to look at it a little bit differently. And so, so before we look at it differently, I want us to look at um, who, are, who are the two major characters in this. So Solomon uh, is the first one who wrote this poem. So who was Solomon? Solomon was the third and last king of a unified Israel. He was the son of David and Bathsheba. He wrote the Song of Solomon. He wrote Ecclesiastes. He wrote a lot of the Proverbs. He was the wisest man in the world. 
And we saw that on display in 1 Kings. And a lot of you know this story. Uh, when, when two women came to him um, saying they were mother of a child, and, and the result was, let's cut the child in two, and you will get half, and you will get half. And the real mother stood up and said, you know what, don't do that. Give, give the child to him. And of course, he realized that that was the real mom. He's the wisest man in the world. And he's writing this poem about his mother, Bathsheba, who suffered greatly with the loss of her husband, who was killed by David. The punishment, the punishment of that was the loss of a child. The life she knew before the ceremonial bath on the roof where David saw her and sent his guards to bring her to him was over. The life that she knew. She was also one of five women in Scripture mentioned in Jesus' lineage, along with Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Mary. She was thrusted into an impossible situation, but it created the reality of redemption. And so what Proverbs 31 is in a lot of ways is this Mother's Day present from Solomon to Bathsheba of what he sees in his mom and what he desires in his wife. But God had way more purpose for Proverbs 31. It's not just a highlight of who Bathsheba is or who this godly wife is or who this godly mother is. You see what it is? Is It is a picture of the bride of Christ. It is an image of each and every one of us. And so as we read Proverbs 31, again, we're not looking at this through the lens of what this means for the women in our church. We're looking at it through the lens of the bride of Christ. What does this mean for us. Solomon wrote a poem for his mom. How many of you wrote a poem for your mom on Mother's Day? I went to Target, just saying. <laughs> so if you have your Bibles, open up to, to Proverbs 31, and let's read it together. It says, a wife of noble character who can find she is, worth, she is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her. He lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works in eager hands. She's, a merchant, she's like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still night. She provides food for her family and portions uh, for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it out of her earnings. She plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her task. She sees that her trading is profitable. And her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds a distaff and, gra and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor. She extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household. For all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her, head, for her bed she is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also... And he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all her hands have done, and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. 
So as we read this poem together, again, the lens that we're, we're reading this with is not the, the lens of a noble wife that is pursuing God. It's the lens of the bride of Christ. Waiting for the bridegroom. It's a pursuit of the bride of Christ for the bridegroom. In verses 10 and 11, it talks about the church. As the church, we're trustworthy. The woman highlighted in this, and Bathsheba describes him as trustworthy. As a church, as the bride of Christ, we're to be trustworthy. We see this in Luke 16, uh, 9 through 15. It says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all of this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you're the ones who justify yourself in the eyes of others. But God knows your heart. What people value highly is detestable in God's eyes, in God's sight. So you see this, this first part of Proverbs 31, it highlights us being trustworthy as the bride of Christ. And what does that look like for us? It lays it out as Jesus is, is talking to the Pharisees. It lays it out that we, we are trusted with much, that we are blessed uh, with, with gifts that we can use for our pursuit of the bridegroom. We are blessed with relationships that we can use to, to glorify him. And so as we are trustworthy, it says that God continues to trust us with more. And so as the church, as the bride of Christ, we're to be trustworthy. So I want you to think about today, what does that mean for you to be trustworthy as you're, you, you pursue the bridegroom? Are you fostering the relationships that you're called to foster as the bride of Christ? Are you using the things that God has gifted you with in order to, to bring glory to his name and who he is, to expand the kingdom of God? He's trusted all of us with much as the bride of Christ. How amazing is that, that our God trusts us. Because he trusts us, he's gifted us an opportunity to be trustworthy. The next part of, of Proverbs 31, we see that we're called uh, to, to uh, bear fruit. In Colossians 1.10, oh, I'm sorry, I skipped. Sorry about that. And next we see that we're, we, as a church, we're faithful stewards. We see this in 1 Peter 4.10. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms, we're called to serve one another. It says, use whatever gift you've received and use that gift to serve someone else. So as the bride of Christ, we're called to be faithful stewards of the things that God has gifted us with. So we're trustworthy. We're faithful stewards. We think of others before we think of, of, of ourselves. The next part of, of Proverbs 31 we see that we're called to bear fruit. In Colossians 1.10, it 
It says, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. So I want to spend a little bit of time. As the bride of Christ, we're called to bear fruit. So what does that look like for us? As the bride, we're called to be disciple makers. So I want us to spend a moment thinking about who are we discipling? Who are we investing in? We're called to be trustworthy. We've been given much, and so we use those things to glorify God. We've been gifted an opportunity to be faithful stewards. And with that stewardship, we bear fruit that is a blessing to the, those that are around us. So again, thinking of Proverbs 31, as, as Solomon is writing this about his mother, Bathsheba, put into an impossible situation that created the reality of redemption. How are we redeemed from our trespasses? It's through Christ and Christ alone, and he's called us to bear fruit with the lives that he has saved. So there's a responsibility that falls on our shoulders, not to earn our salvation, but to bear fruit. So the question today is, as the bride of Christ, are you a disciple maker? Are you investing in others? Are you letting the world know who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for you? So we're called to bear fruit. The next part of Proverbs 31, it says that, that as a church, our lamp does not go out. In Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So here's the deal, church. As his bride, what we do on Sunday morning, what we do just here, isn't the defining points of our relationship with Jesus. This isn't just what makes us the bride of Christ, that we are called to day in and day out represent him well, not just on Sunday. So we have to give him every single part of our life. So as we think about us as the bride, as we think about the impossible situations that we've found ourselves in in the past, as we think about the impossible situations that we might find ourselves in now, and us being the church, and us being the bride of Christ, it goes beyond just what happens here over this next hour or two. What does that look like on Mondays? What does it look like on Wednesdays when you're tired from a crazy week at work? What does that look like with your kids? What does it look like with your neighbors, with your friends? What does it look like with your coworkers? What does it look like with your enemies as the bride of Christ? So our lamp doesn't go out. We don't just turn it on for Sunday morning and then hide it the rest of the week. Our lamp never goes out. Further on in Proverbs 31, it says, as a a church, we're to extend help to the poor and to the needy, and we're to take care of each other's needs. In James 1.27, it says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. 
as the bride of Christ, again, we're to look at others' needs before ourselves. I can't think of a better day to talk about that than Mother's Day because y'all represent that so well and how you take care of, of the men and the children and your friends and the people that you're surrounded by. But as the bride of Christ, we're called to take care of those that are around us. We do this weekly in this church. It's a blessing that I have the opportunity to come in here each and every week, and I get to highlight the, the food pantry that our community desperately needs. I get to talk about the, the homeless ministry that we help support in Dallas. I have the opportunity to talk about our foster care ministry and the leaders of that and the incredible job that they do to take care of the orphans in our community, to take care of the families that are the bride of Christ, and they read James 127, and they put it into action on a daily basis. You know, I, I, I spent majority of my life as a student pastor before I moved into this role. Um, and one of the things that we would always do at summer camp is at the end of the day, after we had wreck and mud pits and worship times and all the things that came along with summer camp, we would have uh, a time of just the church being together in the evenings. And I would give out different prizes and awards. Jasmine's on the front row, and I'm pretty sure you probably received this award more than once. Um, but one of the awards we'd give out is called the I'm Third Award. And so I would look throughout the camp throughout the day, and I would look at those who would put Christ first, put others second, and themselves third. So we'd give I'm Third Awards. It's interesting, like, being at summer camp that, that I didn't have to remind myself. Like, I could just look and just see these kids serving the Lord so well, serving others extremely well. And now in, in an associate pastor role here at this church, I walk through these halls on a daily basis, and I get to hear stories at staff meeting, and I get to, to get phone calls and emails day in and day out of how everyone in this church is doing that, how they've put Christ first, how they've put others second. And I wish I had an award for everybody in this room right now, but it is a blessing to me, and it happens frequently of how this church serves this community how it takes people that are in the margins of, of society and it gives them Jesus. So as the bride of Christ, it's what we're called to do. We're called to extend help to the poor and needy and we take care of one another's needs. The next part of Proverbs 31, uh, we see that, that we're to be clothed in armor of strength. We see that in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For the struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in this heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up your shield of faith, which you can extinguish, the, extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. 
With that in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So we're prepared for the impossible situation that we're going to face. As a church, as the bride of Christ, we know that we're going to face opposition. We're going to face challenge. Rodan says, as we pursue wisdom as a church, in James 3.17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace, loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial and sincere. So again, authentic, worship, authentic, authentic wisdom is not worldly wisdom. You see, David, when he took the life of Bathsheba's husband, he was using worldly wisdom. Things that keeps us out of trouble. But we're called to use wisdom that comes from heaven first because it is pure. The church is an idol. In 1 Thessalonians 3.11, we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They're not busy, but they are busy bodies. Guys, as a church, we're called to build one another up. As a church, says we're blessed. In Ephesians 1.3, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Where real blessing belongs, something that we can't do on our own, but it's something that has gifted us as the bride of Christ that he's given us, not through what we deserve, but through what we don't deserve. And above all, says the church, we fear the Lord. This is the bride, we fear the Lord. It says, show proper respect to everyone love the family of believers, fear God, and honor the emperor. We're called to have a healthy fear of who God is and what he's capable of. We're talking about who created the heavens and the earth, who breathed life into our lungs from dust, who thought so much of us that he would send his son to die on the cross. So church, as we think about Proverbs 31, again, I don't want you to ever think of it the same. I don't want you to ever look at it as just a, a, a instruction for a godly wife. I want you to look at it as instruction of the bride of Christ. It is a poem for all of us. It is a gift to each and every one of us that we pursue God above all else. And whatever impossible situation you find yourself in today, it's going to create the reality of redemption. We are walking, living examples of that grace. And Proverbs 31 instructs us all in what to do with that grace. We're trustworthy. We seek wisdom. We put others before ourselves. We pursue Jesus Christ above any other idol. So we're his bride. This isn't just a passage that we can be flipping about because it might not represent us. Because it represents all of us as his bride. And it puts an example of his care and his love. And again, the impossible situations that we find ourselves in creates the reality of redemption. So here are the next few minutes as we we respond to God's word. There's going to be people in the back of the room in the next step center. If you're in an impossible situation and you can't see the reality of redemption yet, I pray that you'll make your way to the next step center. 
If you've lived in an impossible situation your entire life and you've never given that situation to the Lord, allow him to create the reality that is redemption today. And I pray that you'll find somebody to go and talk to today. Let's pray as we respond to God's word. Lord, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you've done for us. I thank you for the peace that comes in knowing who you are. Lord, I thank you for calling us, allowing us to be the bride of Christ. So Lord, help us to to put you first. Help us to be trustworthy. Help our light not to go out. Help us to pursue wisdom that can only come from above. Lord, I thank you for the impossible situations that we've found ourselves in and how you've created the reality of redemption through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.